Hello and welcome to French Football Weekly podcast. The podcast that I can 100% assure you would have taken that Wabi Kasri chance, if I can put my teeth in after three minutes. Uh, my name is Chris. I am your host this evening and I'm joined by two of the famous four. That includes me, of course. I have got Jez with me this evening. Good evening, Jez. Hello. Hello to you and Phil. How are you, Phil? How are you doing? Hello, I'm well. Good, good. Right. No messing around tonight then, folks. We're going right in at the deep end. And uh, dear listener, I know what you're thinking. We haven't got Rich here to talk about rent. Just take it as a blessing, all right? These podcasts generally are an hour. If Rich was on, we could still be going for three hours, you know? He would have had a lot to say. But of course, I am just kidding. Uh, Rich had a fantastic day, which we'll come on to a little bit later on. I'm sure we can do it some justice. But before we get to that point, uh, let me just run down the scores from the weekend's Liga. They started on Friday night with the impress- ever-impressive Lens, uh, continuing their good run with a 2-0 win at home to Raus. Uh, Callum Wendo with a double. One from the penalty spot and one from open play. And that man, I can never say his name, Ekitike. Hey, first time, was sent off. Uh, Phil, Remind I a... me why this was played behind closed doors. I've lost track. Uh, this was to do with the Lons game against uh, Lille. Lille, was it? Ah, yes. Yes, right. Um, therefore, gotcha. they are one of a growing collection of clubs who had to play behind closed doors. Good times for them, but it didn't affect them in terms of the results. Uh, another good win for them. Moving on to Saturday, uh, a draw for Phils Montpellier against Strasbourg. Uh, Florent Mollet, of course, with the opener and Kevin Gamero with the equaliser for Strasbourg uh, in a game which probably shouldn't have ended in the draw. There was chances at both ends, but the draw is how it ended. Well, um, at least we didn't concede in the 89th minute. I did think that yeah. as Strasbourg went wandering up the pitch uh, in about, I think it was the 87th, I thought, oh God. My blood pressure. <clears throat> Indeed. Uh, the evening game was, of course, the one that makes lots of immature people titter around the, that's the worst thing I could have said there, amuse themselves uh, when they see the fixture, of course, Nice Breast. You can insert your own joke here, boys and girls, but it was certainly no joke for Nice, who ended up winning the game by two goals to one. Jean-Claude Tadibo with the opener, Melvin Bard with the second and proving to be the decisive goal because Frank Honora did pull one back for Brest, but it was too little, too late, unfortunately, for them. And another win for Gaultier, of course. The aforementioned fixture, which we'll cover in a little bit more depth in a minute, ended Ren 2, PSG 0 on Sundays. The Sunday fixtures, Gaetan Laborde uh, and Flavi and Tight. With the uh, with the two goals either side of half time, right at the very end, right at the very start, perfect times to score. Some would say, terrific result that for Ren. As I say, we'll come onto that one in a minute. Um, I really felt for you, Jez, on Sunday as uh, Anger came from behind twice to win three goals to two against Mets. Uh, Dylan Bronner put Mets in front for the up and coming Cho equalised for Anger. Farid Belaya got the second for Mets. Thomas Mangani equalised again for Angers. And uh, Stefan Bohoken with the 93rd minute winner, I want to say, right at the end. Um, yeah, I, I I just, I could hear the groan from here, Jez. I'm, I'm sorry. That's all I can say. Um, hopefully better times ahead. But, you know, let's just move on. Uh, Lorient Clermont ended in a one-all draw. Lorient still unbeaten at home since February. Have to chuck that one in. 
uh, Bio with the opener for Claremont, who else? Equalised by uh, Julian Laporte for Lorient, and uh, the game ended all square. Monaco continued their slightly improving form. Uh, Sean Meni, Golovan and Wissam Peneda. There you go, Jazz. With the three goals in a fairly comprehensive victory, more problems for Bordeaux. I'm sure that's not the last time we'll be saying that this season. Nantes also continued a decent patch for them. A 2-0 win over Troyes. André Girotto up from the back for the opener. And Ludovic Blas with the second from the penalty spot. Uh, if you don't follow Nantes on Instagram, fair enough. That's, that's totally cool. But if you do, you would have noticed a really cool little shot from behind the goal as Blas took away the penalty. I've just kind of got really attached to fun pictures, you might have noticed from my Twitter timeline. Anyway, moving on. Lee- well, just, just to mention that the um, the Sunday games, uh, we had four games in Brittany, all yes. of which were played in lovely sunshine and everything looked brilliant. And then you come down to the south of France and Monaco was basically being played in a blizzard. Um, yeah, it was horrendous, wasn't it? And of all the places as well. And Well, no, all of the south. Uh, we had torrential rain and chaotic wind over here in Montpellier. It was uh, a little bit upside down as to what you'd normally normally think. But yeah, yes. everybody in the Monaco looked a little bit miserable because it was driving rain and looked quite chilly. Yeah, it was quite the weekend for football across Europe. In fact, certain games were, uh, were very damp, I think it would be fair to say. But uh, is, that that's your, is that your Arsenal excuse? No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Um, no, not at all. I was just delighted to see that um, Neil Mopai didn't score, Jess. So, uh... <laughs> but no, we were we were very poor um, and got out of jail a little bit with that game. Um, but meanwhile, back in France, Lille, uh, they, they certainly didn't have any issues with the weather as they won at 2-0 at home to Marseille. Jonathan David, continuing his really good start to the season, actually, he seems like he's really found his feet all of a sudden. Both goals... Uh, 28th minute and the clincher in the 90th minute. Cengiz Under was dismissed for Marseille due to two yellow cards, two pretty stupid yellow cards as well, it has to be said. And uh, yeah, we will cover that game in a bit more depth in a momento. And finally, and the game, of course, which we're going to start with this week, is the uh, the, the Rhone derby, which took place on Sunday evening between St Etienne and Lyon, of course. It ended in a one-all draw. Jess, I'm going to start with you. First question I'm going to ask you is, um, were you aware that uh, Lyon has got lovely restaurants and is the cuisine capital of France? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you were aware of that, but it was on the BT commentary if you didn't. So go back and watch it. I wouldn't but... know if I had it on mute. Oh, good. Well, yeah, there was so only... the house badge for the Ren game. Oh, that was, yeah, it let's was not even go there. embarrassing. <clears throat> I can confirm, though, if anyone was following along on Twitter, the... Um, the uh, the Clive Allen place of Bordeaux klaxon was sounded at 29 minutes. I predicted 26 minutes. I'm gutted. I was so close. And I'm trying, I'm actually trying to see if they are actively looking out for it now. Because the one time they do it when I predict the minute, we know they're on to us. So we'll keep that under our hats. Anyway, aside from BT Sport and their appalling uh, coverage, Jez, what did you make of this game? Because uh, Leon... Uh, went ahead through Usa Mawar. It was one of those games where he he very much turned up for certainly 60, 70 minutes of the game anyway. He was very good and was having a lovely duel with Etienne Green, who was hibernating until January now. Oh, yeah. In, in, until one moves on the, on the cards and then maybe he'll, he'll play again. But uh, 
yeah, he, he eventually got the better of Etienne Green in the rain with the finish just before half time. Uh, Anthony Lopez was then sent off, I think, for the first time in his career, which surprised me slightly for a uh, outside of the ball, outside of the box handball. And Wabi Kasri duly dispatched the 94th minute penalty to probably save Claude Pluel's job. Um, I kind of just want to ask you about both teams, really, because it, it was a derby of real fun. It, it was a lot of you know, really enjoyable game to watch. Leon are probably going to be kicking themselves. And St Etienne, you know, it's the sort of game that you do wonder, could their fortunes change? Because they did fight and, and they did show some heart. What did you kind of make of it overall from both sides' perspective? Um, yeah, it was, it was a brilliant match to watch. It was it's one of those things I think it's, Nick Hornby has a chapter about it in Fever Pitch about all the ingredients that go towards making an epic match. And one of them is horrific weather. So you get like crazy sliding tackles. <laughs> there was a red card. There was a fight. There was um, late drama. There were missed sitters. There were four goals narrowly um, disallowed for uh, sort of tight offsides. Um, woodwork was hit a couple of times. Late drama, obviously. So it was for a neutral, it was a brilliant match to watch. And I think it was probably the draw is probably a fair result. I think Lyon were the better team overall, but Saint Etienne carved out a lot of chances as well. So I think it was probably fair. And, you know, they showed so much, so much heart to come back into the match as well. So Overall, I think Lyon have got to be really frustrated because they should have had the game won a few times over and obviously to, to concede so late is going to be frustrating. Um, and it's kind of, although there was only the, the one goal or it was only one all, it was kind of classic what we're beginning to see from Lyon this year. Look really good going forward, but still very sloppy and leaving holes at the back and possibly... Uh, yet another team, I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to another one later on, where maybe the certain attacking players don't necessarily do their defensive shift, which doesn't help out their own defenders much. Um, so I think Lyon are definitely proving a lot of fun to watch this year, but I think you know it's not the first time this season already that they've probably left a couple of points on the pitch that they should have sort of brought home with them. Um and I think that's just going to be the way that this season might go. And I think it's probably the way that Peter Bosch man, um, has has been throughout his career. So it's it's hardly new for him. And then for Saint-Etienne, I think, you know, <laughs> I've already mentioned Arsenal a couple of times, but it's sort of, it was a little bit like, you know, going from the North London derby to, to the Brighton match this weekend. It, it's frustrating. It must be frustrating as a Saint Etienne fan to see the team play with that much sort of heart and that much um, sort of des- not desperation, but you know the will not to lose. Um, I, I think they have been slightly unfortunate this year. They haven't had the easiest start to the season in terms of fixtures, and I think um, their performances have not been as bad as their league position suggests. But they definitely showed a lot more kind of character um, the other day than than they usually do. For it, in my opinion, it's it's as usual. It's not necessarily the younger players that you should sort of put the blame on, but it's more the likes of. Kazri and Budabuzu very much sort of choose when to turn up. They both did, for the most part, turn up the other day and, and the whole team is, um, 
sort of raise their game because it was a derby, but it's all very well doing that in a derby. You want to see them do it next week or the week after, after the international break and the week after that. Um, that that's the issue. And, and in the same way that Arsenal showed it against Spurs, but then went back into their shells a week later, it's not good enough just to raise your game for, for derbies. And when you're at the bottom of the, of the league of the league table whether you deserve it or not you need to at the very least you should be doing is showing that kind of heart and that will not to lose week in week out yeah yeah i think that's a perfectly summed up phil what was your what was your views on the oh, thing is uh, the will not to lose is all very well but they still haven't won a game mm. and that is problematic um but yeah, as Jess said, I think it would have been gutting for Leon to lose a derby to 94-95 minute uh, equaliser. Because I think what we saw from Leon during the week, there's been a couple of the teams who are in Europe who had a bit of an upsy-downsy kind of week. You know, there was um, a bad result for Lille, who then did well in the league. There was a good result for Lyon playing... Uh, beating Bromby 3-0, top of their group on six points, all nice and comfortable, and then uh, less so in the derby. And I think that's where, you know, what Joe said about uh, the attack is good, but the defence maybe isn't, is that some of their uh, results are going to be maybe a touch misleading. So, yeah, Mm. I mean, it's... If they'd hung on another minute or so, they'd be fifth, they're tenth. Yeah. I know we're only nine games in, but, you know, we're starting to get there. So that's the kind of lead they need to hang on to for the points, but also because obviously it's the derby. It's a big talking point and the fans will not be happy with what happened there yeah yeah it was what it was one of those games that sort of ebbed and flowed uh, there was a a few talking points obviously the the, the red card was was one thing I, I initially i i thought lopez had gone sort of full shithousery with the uh oh my nose my nose but it, it turns out in the replay he did actually sort of hit the ball onto his own nose uh so that was kind of legit but um yeah what he was doing coming out again there i, I just don't know he's just one minute he's, I think, Jazz, you summed it up in a tweet. You know, one minute he's just he's brilliant, and the next minute he's just gone walk about it. It's very, very bizarre. But um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's a slightly slightly odd situation. Then, of course, we got the equaliser. We had all the rain. We had uh, a couple of issues with um, there was that incident before half time where I think I can't remember who the player was actually. It was a, sort of a poke? Was it check? I think it was with an essentially an eye poke, not intentional, I don't think, but. You would question why his fingers were embedded in someone's eye socket right before half time, yeah. and then you had um, and I am going to be a bit cruel here. Um, you then had Leon fans crying about the uh, the, the penalty awarding and, and everything. Um, just quickly because I don't want to spend too much more time on, on one game. But um, Jez, did you did you have a view on on that penalty decision and the fact that? A lot of Leon fans are starting to, to play the, oh, the referee screwed us again card. And they have had a few un, unjust decisions, but I think it's a bit rich in this particular game. They should have killed it off and, and there wouldn't have been an issue to, to deal with. Um, I think it was, 
It, I think it could have gone either way. I think it was a little bit harsh. If that had been given against my team, I'd have been really pissed off. But um, you can see why it was given, I guess. Um, in terms of the... I think Lyon have had some disgraceful decisions against them the last few weeks. This isn't... This is nowhere near the worst of them, obviously. Mm, um, so That's fair. Yeah, I do feel sorry for them to, to that extent. But... Um, this one, not so much, because yeah, I, I think it was it was harsh, but it's not the worst decision I've ever seen. No, and and you know, I guess you probably side with my point of they had the chances, didn't they? I mean, but for Etienne Green, which albeit yeah, he made a couple of good saves, but there was a little bit of poor finishing involved there as well, wasn't there? I mean, there was numerous opportunities to to put that game to bed probably they, they were time. they were all very good saves but none of them were absolutely spectacular I think. oh no 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 that, it's that's... one of those ones where it looked really good because there were a lot of them but yeah i think you'd you'd have been disappointed if he hadn't made any of them yeah a, a clinical finisher probably puts lee on two or three up and the game yeah. is dead someone someone like Memphis but then i don't, I don't really buy this well, they should have had the match one, so they can't complain about a bad refereeing decision. I don't think one's got anything to do with the other. But Yeah, I, I take your point. I suppose where I'm going with that is if you... It's kind of like that when managers play weakened squads and then lose games and they and it's like that old argument, well, why not start with the best players, get the game won and then bring them off? It's kind of one of those. You're absolutely right. One, one doesn't necessarily impact the other, but it's just that thought process of... St Etienne looked like a team to me that at one nil down they had a bit of height, a bit of fight. I think at two nil the game was done, and I don't feel like they would have been under you know as much pressure as they were towards the end. But I guess we'll never know. Um, and and honours are indeed shared on this particular occasion. Certainly an upgrade from the five nil humiliation previously, that's for sure. Um, but um, it never um, disappoints, though. Like... No, oh no, it's a great game and. It, it actually, because a lot of people were waxing lyrical, weren't they, about the Liverpool and Manchester City game on in the Premier League at the weekend. And I, I must admit, I, I didn't see a huge amount of quality difference in these two games. I thought, I thought it was just as entertaining, maybe just without that wonderful goal. But yeah, I, I, I thought it was a really good game. Really. I didn't watch, getting off the subject, I didn't watch the City-Liverpool game, but the way that everyone was raving about the Salah goal, I was expecting to see something absolutely amazing. It was it was very good. I don't understand why everyone was talking about it as a worldie. I, I would I would venture to agree with you on that one. He he ran and 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 he just ran and shot. Anyway, uh, before we get lots of people upset, um, although I'm sure we don't upset anybody when we have a diss on this podcast it's only the people that actively look for it that get upset but we will move on just in case um the next thing i wanted to cover um i wanted to talk about the uh the, the leo marseille game next uh let me stick with you for a minute just because before we go into this game there was some um, some news that came out sort of pre i think it was just pre-game or, or sort of overnight and and that was the the news that uh one of marseille's sort of famous sons, if you will, Bernard Tappi, had passed away overnight. Um, did you just want to sort of, for anyone who doesn't know either much much about him or his history and what he meant to Marseille and indeed French football, did you want to just sort of pay your tribute and, uh, and, and thoughts on, on his, his time within the game? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's one of those characters that certainly in the, in the 90s especially was just not even just sport. I mean, he transcended sport. But he was just a massive, massive character in, in French 
society and culture and life, I guess. I mean, you look at what he, he was an actor and a singer and a businessman and a football chairman and a cycling chairman and a yachtsman. And he, a politician, did I say politician, a minister, just a bit of everything. And, and um, he, he sort of divided opinion because he was very controversial in, in the way he did things in sport and not in sport but you certainly sort of couldn't take your eyes off him and, and was a massive character and obviously in terms of French football he was huge because he he came in in the mid 80s he took over he's not actually from Marseille but he took over Marseille and basically built them into well the into European champions so you know effectively the the best team in in Europe um in my opinion, I think in the opinion of a lot of people, the, the 1991 team that lost the European Cup final was actually better than the 93 team that won it. But um, he, he, yeah, he took this team that was sort of a little bit in the doldrums and, and took them to, to the peak of Europe. He did it. I think a lot of it was, I, th- I guess there was a mixture of things. There's a mixture of money. There's a mixture of his charisma to bring in, certain players and get them sort of you know running through walls for him which is interesting because normally you hear about people running through walls for the coach but it was very much him not the coach and and in terms of sort of undermining the coach there's lots of stories of him sort of ringing coaches at two o'clock in the morning or even at half time saying you need to make this switch or you should be bringing this player on or starting with this player um you know it's very much his character that it was a lot of it was all about him but the fact is that for the most part and you know if we ignore the certain sort of political and business things that, that didn't go right the last 10 20 years of his career um there was a lot of success in everything that he did and marseille were at, at their peak a fantastic team to watch with some fantastic players um and you look at the players, they're not necessarily, they didn't, although they, you know, they tried to sign the likes of Maradona, they had like Francescoli for a year, um, Stojkovic, they weren't always big stars. Um, you know, form a, a striking trio of someone who was doing okay, very well for Spurs, someone who came from Nior and someone who came from Bruges in Waddle, Pele and Papa. They're not sort of necessarily standout names, but he under his sort of guidance he brought these players and the team and to be one of the best in the world um so i think to an extent you can't argue with what he did for marseille the the team and the city because i think with as we sort of talked about i think probably before with various characters it's difficult to sort of separate the the when the team's doing well the city's vibrant and vice versa um there, you can't ignore the controversial part. And obviously the last, the, the 92-93 title was stripped from Marseille because of the, the match, match fixing, the Valenciennes match, where they basically bribed opposition players to kind of go easy on them so that they'd be fit and fresh for the Champions League final in 93. Um, there's also, you know, Wenger is adamant that there's there were a few ma- a few matches where possibly some of his players had even been sort of bribed to, to, to go easy. So there is controversy there. There's, you know, stories of opposition water bottles being spiked and um, 
players kind of opposition players turning out a little bit drowsy. So there's no doubt that he wasn't sort of 100% clean. But again, I think that sort of goes with the Marseille character and probably made them love him even more because he was sort of anti-establishment. And I think as a sort of general football thing, he probably straddled um, the sort of old, especially in France, but arguably in terms of European or world football, straddled the sort of olden days with the kind of nice patriarchal president and then now the the more sort of, you know, multi-millionaire, entrepreneurial, bringing in Galacticos, all that kind of thing. And so sort of you'd think if if he was dropped into football nowadays maybe he'd be a little bit out of his depth but at the time he was this huge character and certainly in terms of French football I think um, he brought it from what was a sort of very sort of cute but relatively harmless um, friendly league into something that that really could sort of compete on on the European level and of course it's still the only Champions League or European Cup title that any French club has won, as, as Marseille fans will never tire of telling PSG fans. So, um, yeah, certainly not always uh, the most likable character and not always the most kosher of characters, but um, a massive influence on French football, a massive influence on, on French society. And I think he's one of those people that... Um, you probably either loved him or loved to hate him, but um, yeah, sort of a, a big, a big loss in a way. Mm. Yeah, I think it's, it's something maybe in the water down here in the south of France because had a kind of similar situation, if not quite so impactful, with George Fresh in Montpellier, who was very connected to Nicolas and Montpellier, and was a similarly someone who was in politics and in business and in all sorts of things. Um, If you do get the chance to watch the series, I think it's just called Marseille. I doubt they've changed the title with uh, Depardieu and, and stuff about the functioning of certain places down here. It's, it's an interesting watch. Yeah. I'll say that. Yeah, and I think um, a very, good, very, very good tribute. That Jez. I think you, I think you've covered it really well there because it's. Um, I think you've you've kind of you've gone with the, the the good and the I wouldn't say bad, but not so good. The questionable. There you go. I think you've, you've huh. summed that up perfectly. Um, this is a guy who sort of he went into cycling for two years and his cyclist won the Tour de France both years. Then yeah. he decided to go into yachting and he broke the, I think it was the transatlantic record. Um, the previous record was 12 days. He did it in eight days or something like that. Or, it, you know, everything he turned his hand to for a certain amount of time turned to gold. Mm. But you maybe had to turn a blind eye to how that always happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice way of putting it. Nice way of putting it. Um, on the pitch, uh, Phil, just wanted to, to touch on the result. Lille 2, Marseille nil. Um, two questions, really. Is this the beginning of the, the, the Govanek massive turnaround? 
And uh, is or has this international break come at a good time for a certain Sam Pauli? Because uh, Marseille looked knackered. Yeah, I think um, I was saying earlier, you know, Lille had a bad result in Europe and then a good result on the pitch, which they've been, you know, they've put a run together now. So that's good. I definitely have Marseille down as having a bad week. Um losing to Lille and the uh, Europa League goalless draw against Galatasaray, for which my notes read flares, stoppage, CRS and fatty to rim. Um, <laughs> I think we put together the, the storyline of that match just from those. Uh, so, yes, this was a, a, a limp performance from Marseille and Lille do look to kind of be getting their shit together but I'm not confident they're going to keep it going if you see what I mean Mm, yeah yeah. they do seem so upsy-downsy yeah consistency Um, is the key so the one of my favorite phrases from a good friend um the false number 12, uh, that Leon are consistently inconsistent. I think we can say that about Leon this season. Mm. And um, it's just going to be, can they keep this run of three wins going into the next into the next set? And just check who they're playing. They're uh, away at Claremont. So, yes, possibly they can because Claremont looked Really hopeless. They've, uh, they've they've dropped off. I think it's fair to say. Although of course they took yes. a on, but um, yeah, I yeah, I think you're right. I think Lille just need to. I, I'm I'm still not convinced. I think Rich said it last week. I'm I'm still not convinced that that uh, Gilvanek relationship is going to end on a happy note. But uh, you know, what you can do is win the games in front of you. And, and in Jonas and David, they've got one of the more informed strikers in European football at the moment, which can only bode well. Lovely picture of him and uh, and um. Timothy Weyer uh, with some sort of thing going on with the celebration of those two. That's a lovely picture. Another lovely picture of the weekend. Um, let's move on to Ren and PSG, though, because, you know, we've got to touch on that. Uh, Jez, I mean, this was, uh, ooh, I mean, if you if you just said to me, Ren will get a result from this game, I, I would have said, OK, I, I can see it. You know, I think we've all said PSG have not been, although they won eight, eight out of eight in the league coming into this game, I think we all agreed they haven't been uh, exemplary. You know, they, uh, they, they've been patchy, um, it's fair to say. But if you said to me that Ren would win it two, two goals to nil, PSG wouldn't have a shot on target. I think, well, I think did they end up with one shot on target? Or it might have been none. Mbappe's goal was offside, so that doesn't count. Um, Neymar was... I mean, I, I genuinely love watching the guy at full flight, but today was absolutely embarrassing. Messi was, was sort of working hard, but had no effects. Ren just tactically, through Genesio, outplays the, uh, the, the sort of the, the, the superstars of PSG. A question I will ask you really is, is this a sign of the complacency to come? from PSG's side, or is it just that Ren, as I said before, got it tactically spot on? I think it's a mixture of both. I mean, first of all, Ren are a bit of a bogey team for PSG. I think only Lyon have beaten them more in the last sort of 10 years. And not only that, but Genesio, I think he's played PSG nine times and he's won four of them. So, you know, for all that 
Leon fans think he's a load of rubbish. He, he's got something about him when it comes to playing PSG. Um, so you definitely have to give them credit. You have to say that Ren are a little bit lucky to have had PSG just after the Man City match. And there's always, there's obviously going to be a bit of a drop off after that. Um, but to give all credit to them, they played fantastically. They sort of did a little bit what PSG did to Man City and that they sort of soaked up early pressure and then um, were able to, to kind of be very effective on the break. I think um, Sulemana gave Hakimi certainly the hardest time that he's had so far in Liga. Um, I think um, the midfield were very compact. I think Laborde, um, you know, is arguably a contender for, for player of the a, player of the season for in Ligue 1 so far this year and the way that he's Delors as well but Laborde even more so the way he's he's sort of um transferred his form to to a new team and and really hit the ground running has been has been brilliant but obviously by the same token you've got to look at the PSG side of things and you know Mbappe if PSG had scored early on you, it's hard to see them losing that match and Mbappe didn't really have his shooting boots on um, on Sunday, but um, you know, certainly he wasn't the, the most at fault of, of the team. I think Messi. It's interesting because obviously Farmers League and all that. Messi still hasn't even scored in Liga. I know he's hit the bar a couple of times, but still waiting for his first goal. So maybe it's not as easy as all that. Um, midfield. We've spoken so many times before about how that's the big issue and if you're trying to fit in those four stars at the front who by the way again are not clicking then it, it's going to leave gaps in in midfield and although Verratti played I think that was I thought it was a very strange it was strange that Pochettino changed so little and played such a strong team I think um, after the Man City match you'd have thought that that would have taken a lot out of a few players but especially Verratti, who only just came back. And it was a it was a shot, frankly, that he started um, against City, let alone played so well against them. So it was particularly surprising to see him start. And so even though they did have that transitional player, he wasn't as effective as he could have been. And then in defence, I thought Donnarumma didn't look 100% convincing. Hakimi, I just said, had a tough time, but you kind of forgive him because he started the season so well. Nuno on the other side didn't look brilliant. Marquinhos is fine. And Kimpembe, I still cannot see what the fuss is about. I still think he looks average, frankly. Um, so there are issues all the way through. But then, and then, yeah, Neymar, I mean, he got a two out of 10 in Lekeep. That was generous. There are, there are articles, there's now been a couple of articles about him, which I think have been coming for a while, um, saying, what the hell has happened to him? And when you think about the fact that in 2021, he's only scored three goals from open play for PSG. That's not good enough for someone of his supposed calibre. And, you know, I saw someone slagging off a tweet sort of criticising Pochettino yesterday and saying, you know, his record for PSG isn't good enough considering he's got um, three of the best strikers in the world. Can anyone honestly say that right now Neymar is one of the best strikers in the world? Because he's not showing anything in terms of stats or performances to, to back that up at all. Um, so there's issues there. And obviously, he can't be dropped. Obviously, Pochettino has to play him. And I think that's, prob that's problematic too. Um, in terms of complacency, 
I don't know if that's the right word. I mean, I don't think it depends which players, but Neymar, yes, but I don't think the likes of Messi or Mbappe do complacency. I think they do try every match. There might be some kind of natural subconscious drop off um, from when you're playing Man City to compared to when you're playing Wren. So I wouldn't necessarily say that. What I would say, however, though, is that however, though, is really bad English, one or the other, you know what I mean? <laughs> I know what you mean. But, um, as brilliant as the Man City result was and as fair as it is to go celebrate it, I'm not 100% sure that um, it's a good look for all the players to be seen sort of clubbing at five o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, fine if you go on to win your next match, but when you lose that match and you've been photographed clubbing at five in the morning with... Um, yeah, I just that's the that's the complacency element I'm a little bit worried about, and that obviously sort of speaks a lot to Neymar's hygiene de vie, as they say in France, that his <laughs> sort of hygiene of life, and probably is very connected to why he still looks overweight and is still and is nowhere near the player that he was three, just, four, five years ago. Just quickly on that, before I um get Phil's take on, on the same sort of situation. Um, by the way, if Neymar's uh, overweight, I, I, I'm taking that, but I know the point you're making 100%. If, um, where do you stand on the debate, just, just briefly, where do you stand on the debate of these are professional athletes, etc., and so on, and man shouts at cloud situation? Because I'm with you, personally. Um, I spent the summer watching the club I support's director of football swanning around on boats with cocktails and, you know, seemingly not doing his job. And then I was made to look rather silly when 130 million quid was spent on five or six players and actually he was doing his job. Is there kind of an argument to say, and I'm not defending Neymar here, but is there an argument to say, you know... It's not his fault that PSG have made him the poster boy. It's not his fault that, you know, they signed a player who they knew exactly what they were getting. They know that he, they have, as we all know, have bent the rules to allow him to go to his sister's birthday every year, for example. I mean, is, is he just doing what he's allowed to get away with? And, and is there, is that, is that epit- does that epitomise the culture at PSG that we've touched on before in that, you know, if you had an, an Antonio Conte type of manager, it wouldn't happen. But you'd never have an Antonio Conte type manager because that's not what Al Khalifi wants. He wants a, uh, you know, a brand, quote unquote, that's in the, the public viewing, even if that means his superstars clubbing at 5am. Is there an argument to say players should yeah, just be well, allowed to do it? I think there's a wider problem with PSG that players just have much too much power. Mm. I think that that's that's a problem that goes for all the players. In terms of Neymar by himself, I just I always think I think one out, you know, well, a few Brazilian players are a compa- good comparison. You know, Socrates smoked thirty cigarettes a day or whatever, but he yeah. was a brilliant George Best. Yeah. Ronaldinho, I think, um, you know, spent as much time clubbing as he did on the football pitch, but that was kind of part of the deal because he also played with a smile on his face, and you kind of thought he's probably not even that interested in legacy. He's not even that interested in being, you know, 
admired as the greatest player in the world. He's just kind of taking it as it comes. And he's, you know, brilliant performances in the Bernabeu. But if it wasn't, he wouldn't mind. Whereas Neymar, you know, the scowling and the leaving Barcelona because he wanted to get out of Messi's shadow and all that kind of thing. You feel like it's a lot more important to him to, to be seen as one of the greats and all that. But then the you know the other side of it and the clubbing and the staying up late playing playstation and the running home to his sister as, as soon as he can it doesn't you can't have it both ways i think that's that's the issue um so there's no right or wrong answer is there really it, it's what your club allow you to you know to, to use a sunday league term if you if your best player your best number 10 turns up half cut and spewing on the side of the pitch on a Sunday morning, but you win three nil. None of the lesser players who are subs and don't get to play give a monkeys. But if that's, the subs yeah, don't, I mean, then, that's you know the I mean? thing. If you, if you, like I said, if they'd beaten Ren, then no one would have yeah. questioned it. I just I feel like I've said this on another podcast this week. So sorry if people have listened to both and, and are getting bored, but <laughs> I get annoyed when people say, PSG will never win the Champions League because they win Liga too easily. Mm. I don't think it's about winning Liga too easily. I think it's about your attitude in the way that you win it. And I think Bayern Munich are the perfect example. They win Bundesliga year in, year out, generally quite easily. But the difference is, and I know this is a really bad week to to say it because they lost to the weekend, but generally... They go out every match to win that match, to play 100% from the first minute to the 90th minute. If they're already 5-0 up, it doesn't matter. They still want to grind the other team's face in the dirt. Mm. And there's no sort of going easy. Again, it's not complacency. It's it's just, I, yeah, I guess being professional. And if, you're, if you kind of develop those good habits, then they're going to come more naturally in the really big matches where you're a little bit more challenged. Yeah. So it's not that it's easy, it's the way that you win those matches. And I, I think that's the difference. I mean, I might be completely wrong. Maybe this kind of stuff happens all the time in Germany as well. But I doubt that you would see the likes of Müller and Neuer and Kimmich and all of that sort of in, in you know, clubbing at five in the morning, three, four days before a, a match. Mm. And if they did, you probably wouldn't actually see it. It would just happen quietly. But yeah, right around the corner. No, agreed. Um, Phil, before we uh, sort of wrap up the, the weekend's league and discussion, it would be uh, churlish of me not to mention, Ren, in, in Rich's absence. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I kind of touched on it earlier on, but um, Bruno Genesio is, is very quietly doing a very good job at Ren, isn't he? I mean, he is a guy who was not, quote unquote air quotes fashionable but it's I mean he's their third win of the season isn't it? yeah I, I just I just feel like the style you know I I, I sort of feel like they're building something and I, I don't get it wrong you're right Jez I mean they do sit 11th and the European games have been pretty good but that's hard to judge in, in that competition at this stage but I, I just feel like this could have gone horribly wrong for Genesio this could have gone full governor uh, in terms of the pressure no, he's been but under. I think, as Jess mentioned earlier, he's got a bit of the sign over PSG. And I, mm. I've got, with OM having a bad week, I've got Rendam as having a good week. Because, yes, in the Europa champion, what's it thingy, uh, they came back from the goal down at Vitesse to win 2-1 away. And then they did this. And as you said... It was the 45th minute and the 46th minute. 
it was like they took advantage of the lack of concentration of PSG. There was some great VAR in this game as well. We saw, obviously, Tate's goal went to review uh, later on in the last 10 minutes. Uh, there was a penalty shout for Ren, which was turned down. The Mbappe goal was given outside. Yeah, no shots on target for PSG. Ren just did what they needed to do. Everything worked very well. And yes, PSG fucked up. But Ren were there to take advantage of that. They did not look scared. Mm. They looked organised and they were going to take their chances and get on the ball. Montpellier um, influencing things from a distance there. He's not somebody to to um, be uh, kind of intimidated by a situation. And I think after the the second goal, there was there was some handbags. I wouldn't call it a fight exactly, but Jonas Martin was involved again, ex Montpellier. Um, he he has he has some cards in him, shall we say? And the ref basically booked everybody on the side. I'm guessing that Donnarumma will be sent off several times this season. He just appears to have a quite a fighty attitude. He's got um, that in him. It's the Italian element to him, yeah. Well, I think it's the the tallness and the beard might might be. He's a he's a part. big lad, to be fair. I wouldn't mess with him. But yeah, I mean Jonas Martin has has got a little bit of that in him as well. So I thought. I was watching that going, oh, God, don't get sent off. Don't get sent off. Um, and they held on. I was very confused by PSG in this game. And when the you know, I was looking at who scored and they said no shots on target, I'm like, seriously? Mm. I think there were one or two that Gomez um, took, which were very, very dangerous crosses. Yeah, he did. But it he wasn't did like simple. nothing went into the danger zone but wasn't wasn't the animo either was it like it wasn't like psg battered them for 45 it was it was a weird thing they had so much more possession but did nothing with it and Mm. it was a very instructive performance i think and yeah i'm kind of i mean everybody bitches about international rights i usually don't but i think this one has come at exactly the wrong time for working out a couple of teams' trends. Yeah, I agree with that. It and feels I... like it's interrupting some good runs that could now go bad and some bad runs that could now be reset. And, oh, yeah, I'm mm. annoyed by this one, I have to admit. I, I, have a, I also think uh, Pochettino is going to start to come under some, some heat uh, in terms of there's a few things gathering in storm cloud, uh, if you will, but I guess we shall see. Um, just one other quick thing to mention on this game. I don't know whether this was as a result of the, the second goal was takes, wasn't it? Uh, looking back, uh, yeah, it was. I don't know whether the kickoff after that goal was as a result of the 
Um, we, we saw it's a great weekend for people ripping off celebrations. Uh, anyone that saw Andros Townsend attempt to do the Ronaldo uh, will know what I'm talking about. But I did think it was quite pointed that, that Tate sort of ran off, slid on his knees and folded his arms like a certain French centre forward uh, who we shall come on to in a minute. I do wonder if there was a small element of shithousery going on there and I'm all for it. Please continue to do it. Um Okay, so that was the weekend that was in Liga. We were going to kind of run down the European results, but I feel like we've kind of spliced those into the conversation as it is. So um, we will um, we will kind of skip through that. I guess it would be churlish of me not to mention the fact that, that PSG did get the win over Manchester City last week. And of course, Messi did get his first goal. Uh, I think it's probably... can, can we say that Garnagay's goal was... Oh, it was a cracker. I mean, yeah. I mean, not and, that one. So. And, a, and a small side rant, the idea that Kylian Mbappe potentially is going to win Player of the Month um, grinds my very soul because it's a popularity contest when I, th- I would say Idrissa Gay or maybe even Ander Herrera should be should be up for that particular gong, if not. I mean, there's about 10 players I can name ahead of Mbappe who would deserve it this month. But anyway, uh, I'll leave that round for another day. But uh, yeah, some, some good results there, spliced with a disappointment for Lille, which I don't know whether we mentioned they lost 2-1 to Salzburg, and it would appear that they may not be um, progressing much further if results continue the way they have. Um, but as Phil mentioned earlier on, some good performances. Um, Monaco's draw in Sociedad, Leon's home win against Bromby that we mentioned, uh, Marseille's 0-0 with Galatasaray, I settled in, I had all the snacks, I was well up for it. And uh, I mean, the, the most explosive incident of the game was the flares in the crowd. The, the explosive so, incident, yes. Yeah, so. yeah, which uh, did the game was just a bit meh. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it just didn't, it just didn't live up. Uh, but I do hope that all got home safe because I suspect there would have been a few issues outside the ground after that game. Anywho, let's, um, to wrap up this week's show, then we are just going to kind of have a look ahead to uh, the, the French national team, because, of course, they are back in action. I say, of course, some people will be sat there going, oh, are they? OK. And, of course, you would think this time, oh, yeah, it's World Cup qualified. No, 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 no. Gentlemen, ladies, do you remember the Nations League? Our good friend. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, he, she is back this week. Um Jazz Belgium are the opposition for France to uh, two days' time, as we record on a Tuesday. Um, and then, of course, if they were to make it through that game, they would then have a final on Sunday, not Friday, as I thought earlier on, which would have been disastrous. Uh, two questions I'm going to fire at you then. Um, do you fancy France to come through the Belgian game? And if you do, do you fancy them to, to potentially win this tournament on Sunday? And... Uh, also, could I just get your thoughts, um, kind of just overall sum up of the Kylian Mbappe interview? Because some very interesting quotes that I think you tweeted most of the interesting points about it yesterday. Some very intriguing things to come out of that that have seemingly divided opinion on on young Kylian once again. Um, in terms of the Nations League, it's France, Belgium, Italy, Spain. I think, you know, they're four quality teams and all, all four could potentially win it. I think Spain, because of various injuries, arguably the the, the weakest of the four. Um, so I would expect Italy, who obviously on their amazing unbeaten run as well, to get to the final. And then France-Belgium, I think it's a very tight call. I think Belgium are sort of in a better place, maybe sort of mentally or... Um, terms of um, 
I think they're, they're coming off the back of like three straight wins or something and, and um, just seem more settled. And France, as we know, I think, you know, we all kind of joke about the Nations League, but actually I think it's maybe taken on a little bit more importance for France because of what happened in the Euros. I think it would be a really good sort of fit it for France to, to win this. And and actually that was, that was one of the quotes from Mbappe that... Um, uh, he said, you know, we're not in a negative place, but let's say it's nowhere near as positive as three years ago when we need a sort of, um, you know, marquee result to um, to kind of bring back that feeling of positivity. So actually, I think this maybe sort of falls at a, a reasonable time for France. And France-Belgium has become, I mean, obviously it's a natural rivalry anyway, but it's become even more so because of the there's quite a lot of bad blood that has come from 2018 with Belgium being very bad losers and French fans really um, enjoying kind of rubbing Belgian noses in it. So, um, yeah, it's, I think it's a really intriguing match. I think it's difficult to say who starts as favourites because in theory, with the quality France have got in their squad, maybe they, they should do, but then... Um, Belgium, I think, are, are more settled. They they kind of, if you like, know what they are and what they do well better. And and they're, I think, they're possibly still ranked number one in the world for what it's worth. Yeah, so, whatever that means. Yeah. 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 So so I think it could be tight. I think France will go with that three four three again, which will be in, or three four one two, however you want to describe it, mm. which was great against Finland and sort of saved what was a, a terrible international break in September but obviously Finland are not Belgium so it's going to be really interesting to see to see how that goes it'll be interesting it will be lovely to see both Hernandez brothers featuring together um, it would be really lovely to see Lucas Hernandez as uh, centre-back with Kimpembe dropped to the bench um, it would be uh, interesting to see if Mbappe is able to play the same role that um, Martial did the other day where he would be willing to kind of make selfless runs to enable Benzema and Griezmann to do their thing. Um, my prediction is no, absolutely, he's not able to do that because it all has to be about him. And I guess that takes us on to the interview. It's perfectly set up. <laughs> um, I don't know how I feel. I mean, like most of the replies that I've seen from when I sent all the quotes out seem to be from pro Mbappe people and people saying, oh, it's just amazing how eloquent he is and he speaks such a good game and look at this brilliant thing he said about sacrificing himself and doing all the running so that Messi doesn't have to and blah, blah, blah. I Look, Mbappe has not had a popular start to the season. He's had temper tantrum after temper tantrum. It started with that... Bulgaria match and him taking that comment from Giroud badly then there was the sort of general performances in the Euros where it was a bit weird because he was involved in almost all of France's goals but it still felt like he was trying to do much too much himself then he missed the penalty then he allegedly he tried to tell a very different story in his interview but he sort of you know, got upset that he wasn't given enough support after missing the penalty. And then we had the temper tantrum towards Neymar. So there's been several things. And I think this was, and then obviously the fact that, you know, he he, he got booed by PSG fans because he wants to leave. Frankly, I don't think there's any issue 
for me, I, I don't think he should be criticised for wanting to leave, but um, whatever PSG fans booed. I think this is a very well-timed interview or set of interviews by Mbappe and his people. And I'm very cynical about you know, how much they set the whole thing up. I noticed Lekip, not only did they publish the interview, but they also had a whole feature on, um, you know, what a great sort of philanthropist or, or not philanthropist, but like um, patron of charities he is. And there was also something about what a great supportive family he's got. So I think this was all a bit of a sort of puff piece. And yes, we all know that he speaks very well and very eloquently, but I'm sure he was particularly prepared for this one I assume the journalists were particularly briefed on what to ask and what not to ask that kind of thing so I'm slightly cynical about aspects of it and you know it's great to say I'm happy to do all the running so that Messi doesn't have to but we know that Mbappe does not do much defensive running so it's fine to say it but again let's see it on the pitch and it's fine to say no I've got no issues with Giroud but I don't believe that um, he hasn't been an influence in Giroud being dropped from the last two squads. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't buy all of it. Possibly the most interesting thing of, of the whole um, interview, I would say, is maybe when, when they said, so, you know, you definitely wanted to leave PSG, you definitely wanted to join Real. Um, but basically, he kind of said, never say never in terms of staying at PSG. So I think he's playing around a little bit. I'm sure he's... The, you know, he's still likely to leave, but he hasn't 100% ruled out that there could be a chance of him staying. So I yeah. think that's the most interesting. The rest of it, I think it was pretty predictable with, you know, um, a yeah, bit well, of woe is me, a tiny, tiny iota of, um, you know, I haven't always been perfect, but a lot of the time I'm very hard done by, you know, I was very, I was so upset that people were painting me as the problem with the France team, that the France team is so important to me that I'd be willing to walk away Back from away. the team if it helped the team, blah, blah, yeah. blah. I, yeah, I don't buy it all. No. I would have done a couple of years ago, he was the golden boy and he deserved to be, but I just think his halo has slipped. I don't, I do think there's a massive ego problem there. And I really think it would do him good to get away from PSG, to get away from Neymar, to get away from that player power and just be somewhere else. And I was going to say grow up. I'm not saying he's immature, but I just think, you know, experience something different and, and um, different country, different culture. Different yeah, setup. I think yeah. it would do him good and maybe hopefully ultimately do France good as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically what we're saying is expect Kylian Mbappe to pitch up uh, somewhere like Stoke next year where he will be the, the corner piece of the uh, system moving <laughs> forwards. Can you imagine? Uh, yeah, I, I much the same as what you said there, Jez. I, I, want, I, I really want him to go on and, and be a world superstar for a variety of reasons. I mean, he already is, but you know what I mean? I want him to to do all the things that we know he's probably capable of doing in terms of his ability. Um, and, I, you know, I don't care if he's got an ego, if he backs it up, but his form has been patchy. We know about the Euros, um, but I want him to succeed because that means France are doing well and that means the spotlight is on the league, et cetera, and so on. But, uh, yeah, some of the things maybe not quite as particularly brilliantly and Phil, just before we wrap up this, your uh, thoughts or maybe lack thereof, I don't know, but on the Nations League, I mean, you know, it's not a World Cup, it's not a European Championships. I, but I did not realise that was what this one was. 
I think a few people have felt that. Mm. I don't. I don't think you're on your own in that because it has come out of nowhere. There's usually a bit of build up. The, the only thing I was kind of going to ask you is, it, it may not be one of the big two, but given what happened at the Euros, given that we've got a World Cup in seemingly like ten days' time, I know it's not that, of course, it's but it's soon. Um, this is a chance for France to just remind everybody that actually they are still world champions. They are still arguably you know, or could be that one of the best teams in the world, have one of the best squads in the world. It would be a timely reminder to go and beat Belgium and then potentially beat one of Italy and Spain and and just remind mm. people that they are that force, would it not? Yeah, I think and it's going to come down to what is an issue in pretty much every international break, which is how seriously is this being taken and who is being allowed to go? And, you know, is the Nations League being so new, is it going to have the, the, the kudos, as it were? Mm. But, yes, I mean, obviously, I hope they win. And there's something very neat about it being Italy, Spain, Belgium, France. It's a bit classic, isn't it? Because... I'm guessing Italy are going to beat Spain. I'm not so sure. I feel I feel like Italy have got a fall in them. They're, they're such on a, such a long unbeaten run. We all know what happens with those, and you know, just I don't know. I, I may yeah, be wrong. So I it. think it it will be this will be a fun one because we are actually going to see. I presume the silverware. Is there a trophy? Yeah, yeah, there is, there right. is a, or is it a shield? I, I can't remember what shield or plate. Yeah, I, I think it's a trophy. Do yeah. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to Google it. Carry on. Carriage clock, something like that. Oh, anyway. can you imagine oh. that? That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be hilarious. Can you see Hugo Lloris picking this up and going, um, I've been working uh, at, at this plumbing supply factory for 20 years. Thank you very much. And I didn't uh, even get no, it is um, a trophy. I'm looking at it. It looks a bit like uh, something you'd win at the darts. It's sort of okay, like a okay. swirly. Send me a picture. I'll put it in the... Um, put it in the in Very the... apt. It is pretty. So, don't get me wrong, but, you know. Well, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just hope everything goes well. I'll be interested to see the new... The new, inverted commas, system and... Yeah, with Jazz, hopefully they sort the defence out and we can kind of get on with things. So Yeah, kind of damned if they do, damned if they don't, because if they win it, it'll be like, well, it's only the Europa yeah, well, League. We, we do know that yeah. DB has a habit of not changing things unless they're irrevocably broken. Mm. And so this... <laughs> You know, it's going to be, does this give us a clue as to what's happened in the World Cup or what? So it's going to be a bit. Mm. I, th I think he changes lots of things. I think he, this, this myth that he keeps everything the same, I don't, I don't think it's true at all. And arguably in recent months, I think he's changed things a little bit too much and too often mm. in trying to please everyone. Yeah. But, um I'm hoping that he sort of accidentally stumbled on something against Finland. My concern <laughs> is that if he gives sort of priority to against Finland, it worked very well because they had Teo Hernandez and um, Dubois as the wing backs. But if he sort of goes back to kind of 
hierarchy and puts Pava and Dean there. I'm not sure they can do the same job as well, but I'm excited to see the system again. And assuming that he plays both matches, um, Griezmann will win his 100th cap on Sunday. So mm-hmm. it would be very nice if he won it in the final rather than the third place playoff and that if he sort of marked it with a, a goal and a trophy. He's, uh, he's nice. just found a bit of form as well, hasn't he? Oh, he seems to have just settled back in at Atleti, so it's probably a good time for him to um, to to continue that moving forwards. Um, I'm still not sure about the Barnet, but yeah, yeah. I'm never sure about Griezmann's hair. Oh, I don't know. I like the long. I mean, I would, of course, but um, yeah, I'm not he sure about awful. that. Awful. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably never see eye to eye on hair, Chris. but uh, yeah, no. Um, as I say, I, I do feel like it's a little bit France are damned if they do and damned if they don't. I mean, yeah, so if they don't win it, then it will be like, oh, this is a further fall. And uh, if they do win it, it will be like, yeah, but it's only the Europa League, uh, Europa League, Nations League, same thing, basically. But uh, I guess we will see. Um, and that is where we will leave this week's uh, podcast. Um, thank you for sticking with us. I appreciate we are a day later than planned. You know, the drill, boys and girls, uh, we, we try and make our schedules work. Sometimes it just doesn't. So better a day late than never right so hopefully you did enjoy of course uh, we'll be hoping for Lobler to put into uh, solid performances and, and bring home the um the curly trophy of which uh, i'm trying to find a picture for Phil to use so enjoy that and uh, and then we've got what is it like this is quite a long break this one isn't it i think we've got two weeks off so we'll be back next week to discuss probably a a France heavy uh, podcast and if we are short of things to discuss uh, because the games are not that thrilling or indeed we can bring Rich back to talk about Red talk about Red exactly (laughs) we'll do do an hour long on Genesio and and his uh, take on on cultural farming Um, until then anyway uh, thank you very much Jez for your time this evening much appreciated thank you you are very welcome. And uh, thank you to Phil, of course, as well. Thank you, Phil. Thank you. Right. We'll be back next week then to discuss all things France, as I said. And uh, if it is a quiet week, we will definitely find something other than Rich to talk about, Ren. But I'm sure Rich will be back on next week. So until then, thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you very soon. Bye.